I knew we wouldn't have enough time to really go further in Ephesians chapter 1. And last week we really tackled a difficult passage. And if you look at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, it says, He's chose us in him before the foundation of the world. In verse 5, he predestined us for adoption. In other words, God the Father from eternity past chose us and predestined us and set his affections on us. If you didn't hear the sermon last week and you have questions about this passage, which it is a difficult passage, I would encourage you to listen to the sermon. It should be online from last week. And if you have questions, please uh, feel free to ask. These two verses obviously bring up a lot of questions. And I said last week, my goal wasn't to answer every question surrounding these two verses. And the reason that is, is because Paul doesn't. He just states them as truth, and he celebrates them and celebrates these truths. But today there is a question I want to address. If man is chosen and predestined, in other words, salvation depends 100% on God, why evangelize? Why evangelize? I want to answer this question, and here's why. I want our church to be bold with the gospel. I want our church to be bold with the gospel in Tehachapi. I want our church to have a passion to reach the nations. I want to be a part of a church that takes the Great Commission seriously. And so we need to wrestle with this question. Why evangelize? I think most people just answer this question by saying, well, we're called to. It's our duty. It's our responsibility. God's commanded us to, and therefore that's the end of the the story. That's the end of the the conversation. I, I just think there's a better answer, a more fuller answer, and that is true. Don't get me wrong. We are called to. But there's a more fuller answer to then than just that. And I want to start answering this question by making an observation of Ephesians 1, chapter 1 and chapter 2. And here's the observation that I want you to see. I'm going to give it you up front, and then let's see if the passages support it. Here's the observation. God is the great giver. God is the great giver. Now let's look at the passage, these two chapters, and see if it supports that. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's given us that. Look at verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace. Grace means unmerited gift. He's gifted us every spiritual blessing. Look at verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, gift, unearned gift. Verse 8, which he lavishes upon us. Gift, 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 giving, 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 grace, grace, grace. Verse 11, in him we obtained an inheritance. God has given us an inheritance, in other words. And look at verse 13. We were sealed with the promised 
Holy Spirit. He has given us the Holy Spirit, who is, verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. He has promised us a, a future inheritance. He's going to give us a future inheritance. Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God, verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. God has given us spiritual life together with Christ by grace. It wasn't earned. It was a gift. By grace you have been saved. Verse 7, Ephesians 2, verse 7, so that in the coming ages, why did he do all of this? So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace, a gift, unmerited gift, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, just so you know. And Paul's like, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And just so you know, it is a gift. You didn't earn it. It's grace upon grace upon grace. It's gift upon gift upon gift. It's God giving and giving and giving because God is the great giver. He's the great giver. And here's something that we have to keep in mind. The honor and glory and thanks always goes to the giver. Gratitude and praise always goes to the giver. So what's that make us? The great receivers. The great getters. This is what John Piper says. What can I give my maker? If he were hungry, he would not tell me. For the world and all that is in it is his. The birds of the air, the bugs in the field, the cattle on a thousand hills belong to him. Psalms 50. Everything that is, is God's. I cannot improve him. I cannot enrich or add to him. I am utterly and inescapably and always the receiver. Listen to what Paul says in Acts 17. It's Acts 17 verse 24 if you want to turn there. It should be on the screen. Acts 17 verse 24, it says this. This is Paul speaking to pagans. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth. And just stop there. That's a big God, right? God that made everything by speaking. The Lord of heaven and earth. This big God does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. He himself, it's a key word there, he himself gives to all mankind, life and breath and everything. God is the great giver, and this is on the common grace level, meaning this is the grace he, he bestows on everyone. God gives breath and life, and everything you own is from him. You know, no one says, I'm going to be born. I love saying that. No one says, I'm going to make myself. There's no such thing as a self-made man. Everything was given to you. And some of you might go, I disagree. I've, I've worked hard. I've got to this place in life. It, it was me that was working. I'm a self-made man. Well, how about this? You don't even make your own heartbeat. Every single beat 
is a gift. Every single breath is a gift. Every single moment in life is a gift. Man is 100% dependent on God, therefore man should be thankful. In fact, I don't know if you realize this, but the lack of gratitude towards God because of his great gifts that he's bestowed on us is one of man's greatest sins. Romans 1, talking about the depravity of man, it talks about that everyone knew man, right, and, and is without excuse. And then verse 21, it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or thank or give thanks to him. In other words, man didn't honor God as God, and man didn't give thanks to him for God being the great giver. Because the giver always gets all the glory and honor and thanks. And it all should go to God. But here's the amazing part of this. We are the great getters. We get joy. The joy of life. The joy of salvation. The joy of having a relationship with him. He always gives and we always receive. And my guess is, right now, there's some of you that are really struggling with this concept that God is the great giver and, there, and that we are the great receivers. And we shy away from this reality, and I think it's because of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. We say we shouldn't obey to get. That's a wrong motive. We shouldn't obey to get. So I want to be really clear on this, as clear as I can be. We should never obey to get wealth, health, and prosperity. Because God has never promised us health, wealth, and prosperity in Scripture. So we shouldn't expect it. But you know what he does promise? Ephesians 1, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just given to us. Not because we are obedient not because we've worked and earned it. It's an unmerited gift. It's grace. Listen, the idea of grace, God's grace, is what separates Christianity from every other religion. It's the only religion that's different. We don't earn our salvation. It's given to us. What is grace? It's an unearned gift. Again, God is the great giver, and we are the great getters. God gives grace and we receive grace. And that grace doesn't stop at salvation. Every aspect of the Christian walk is grace. It's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. I want to read a quote by A.W. Tozer. I just want to be upfront with you. I've read this quote before. It's a little blunt. It's from the book, The Knowledge of the Holies in the chapter of the self-sufficiency of God. This is what A.W. Tozer says. To admit the existence of a need in God is to admit incompleteness in the divine being. Need is a creature word, and it cannot be spoken of the creator. God has a voluntary relationship to everything he makes, but he has no necessary relationship to anything outside of himself. His interest in creation arises from his sovereign good pleasure, 
not from any need the creation can supply, nor from any completeness it can bring to him. I hear a lot of Christians say that the reason God made man was because he was lonely and he really wanted a relationship. And so he made man and gave him a free will, and man sinned, and then he redeemed because he wants to have this relationship with man. Wants is one thing, but as soon as you say he needs a relationship, you've crossed the line. Because God does not need a relationship. God is a community. He's a trinity. He had complete relationship from eternity past, perfect loving relationship from eternity past. He is complete. He is self-sufficient. Tozer continues, Almighty God, just because he is almighty, needs no support. The picture of a nervous God fawning over men to win their favor is not a pleasant one, yet if we look at the popular concept of God today, that is precisely what we see. 20th century Christianity has put God on charity. In other words, God is the one in need He is on charity. He needs us. So lofty, Tozer continues, so lofty is our opinion on ourselves that we find it quite easy, not to say enjoyable, to believe that we are necessary to God. But the truth is that that God is no greater from our being, nor would he be lesser if we did not exist. That is a humbling thought. That we do exist is altogether of God's free determination not by divine necessary. In other words, we exist because God wanted us to exist, not because he needed us to exist. Probably the hardest thought for all our natural egotism to entertain is that God does not need our help. This is Tozer, by the way, not me. We commonly characterize him as a busy, eager, somewhat frustrated father hurrying about seeking help to carry out his compassionate plan to bring about peace and salvation to the world. But the God who worketh all things together surely needs no help or no helpers. Too many mission appeal, missionary appeals are based upon the supposed frustrated frustration of God Almighty. An effective speaker can easily excite pity in his hearers, not only for the heathen, but also for the God who has tried so hard and so long to save them, but has failed for want of support. I fear that thousands of younger persons enter into the ministry, the Christian ministry, from no higher motive than to help deliver God from the embarrassing situation his love has got him, in, him into. Let me be clear. The supposed frustrated God of popular Christianity is not the God of the Bible. The almighty, powerful, sovereign, supreme God of Scripture does not need you and he does not need me. All the dependence goes from man to God. Therefore, all the gratitude goes from man to God. Then why evangelize? This is a question I wanted to tackle this morning, and we're going to do it in 15 minutes. I did it first service, so we got this. Why evangelize then? God doesn't need us to. I hear this all the time. Like I said, this week... I've heard it. If Ephesians 1 means what it it says, that man is chosen, he's predestined, if God is sovereign even over salvation, meaning 100% of the credit of our salvation goes to God and man's salvation goes to God, then why evangelize? 
I want to answer this question with a story. If you would, turn with me to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there is a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. This was a very important man who had many men underneath him. He was a Gentile. He was a Roman. Verse 2, a devoted man who feared God with all of his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. He was what was called a God-fearer, which was a Gentile man, not a Jew, but a Gentile man who believed in the Old Testament. It was a strange time, actually, in biblical history where we're at right now in Acts. There was believing Jews and believing Gentiles that didn't know about Jesus. And Cornelius was a believer, but he only had the Old Testament. He didn't know about Jesus' complete work. He needed to hear about Jesus, in other words. He needed to hear the good news. He needed to hear the gospel. So look at verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly. I want you to take note of that. He saw clearly. I don't know why Luke was inspired to write that, but I think it's interesting. It was a clear vision. He saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he started, or he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, this is what the angel said, your prayers and your alms have extended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging one Simon, a tanner, who is, whose house is by the sea. Just think about that for a second. The, the angel communicates and talks to Cornelius and gives him very specific instructions. Go find this Peter guy. Look at verse 7. When the angel who spoke to him, had departed. He called two of his servants and a, uh, and a devoted soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Right? The angel says, hey, go get Peter. Right? Send men and go get Peter. Why? Why is the angel telling him to go do that? Because Peter has the gospel, and Peter's going to come back and share the gospel with him. Here's my question. Couldn't the angel just share the gospel with him? Think about that. Yes, that's the answer. In fact, in Revelation, it says at one point, God is going to send an angel across the world and share the gospel. Did God need Peter? No, not at all. God could do anything. He could use angels and share the gospel with everyone around the world. He could write the gospel message in the sky. He could do anything. Then why use Peter? That's the question we should ask. Look at verse 23. Cornelius sends his servants to find Peter. Verse 23, so he, that's Peter, invited them and the servants to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. That's Christians are going with, Jewish Christians with Peter as, they go, as he goes back, verse 24. And on the following day, they entered Cornelius, or Caesarea, and Cornelius was expecting them, and, and he called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up and said, saying, Stand up, I am, I am, I am too a man. 
Right? Peter's like, I'm just a man. I'm not the one that's going to save you. I am just a man with a message. Don't worship me. So Cornelius tells him about this angel. This passage is really long because it's extremely important in the context of Acts. We don't have time to, to get into that. I want to get this point across, though. So look at verse 20, or 33. Skip to verse 23. P- Cornelius tells Peter about this angel. Verse 23 says this, So I sent for you at once when he saw this angel, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. It cracks me up. Just, just think about this. Cornelius is in this room with all of his family, all of his friends. There's all types of people in this room that tell Peter, share the gospel with us. <laughs> Could you imagine? Verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth. I mean, that's extremely important. That one line right there, so Peter opened his mouth, is actually... Um, at my commencement service in seminary, that's what Al Mohler preached on, this, those words. We need to open our mouths. Yes, we need to live out the gospel, but we need to proclaim the gospel too. This is important. For Peter to share the gospel, he had to open his mouth. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Listen, I pray we are bold with the good news as a church. That we open our mouths boldly into Hatchapi. Verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. And he's talking about the, that, that God's just not saving the Jews. He's going to save from every people group. Listen, look what it says in verse 35. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all of Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the peoples, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Now look at verse 43. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And right there, Peter has shared the gospel. I just want you to hear what he said. At this point, Peter has preached that Jesus is from God, that he's Lord of all, that he lived a godly, perfect life, 
that he died on the cross, that he was raised from the dead in verse 43. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. That's the gospel. And as soon as Peter shared the gospel, look at verse 44. While Peter was still speaking, saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because of the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and exalting God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. Here's the point. God didn't need Peter to share the gospel. God wanted Peter to share the gospel. And there's three reasons I can think of real quick of why he wanted Peter to share the gospel. The first one is this, to build up the church. At this point, the church was mostly Jewish Christians. Christians, Jews, this church needed to know that the Gentiles could be saved. So God sent Peter to Cornelius. The second reason is to grow Peter. Peter needed to know that the gospel was for the nations, not just his community. Not just for the Jews. And the third reason is this, and this is the reason I want to spend some time in for Peter's joy for Peter's joy Peter got to be the messenger of good news look at what it says in verse 45 and the believers from among the circumcised in other words the Jewish Christians that were with Peter who had come with Peter were amazed Peter and his friends were amazed at what God was doing. They got to be right there on the front lines. And look at verse 48. It just says this, remaining for some days. And I just kind of wonder, what were they doing? Here's my guess. Partying. Like Christian partying, though. not Celebrating, rejoicing, worshiping together with great joy. For days. Listen, God is the great giver. He gave Peter the opportunity to evangelize. Peter was the great getter. Peter got the joy of bringing the good news. The giver gets the glory, all the glory and praise goes to God and thanks. The getter gets the joy. God gets the glory, Peter gets the joy. Listen, we need to change our perspective on evangelism. God doesn't need us to evangelize. We get to evangelize. Think about that angel. I just, I think about weird things. That angel, what he was thinking. Right? He, he's, he, he appears to Cornelius. He's talking with him. Don't you think he would have just been overjoyed to tell Cornelius about Jesus? That's what the angels do. They proclaim Jesus. But God told him specifically, save that privilege for Peter. You know, a side note, and I just want to be clear on this. Our missionaries have this attitude. Our missionaries have this attitude. If you tithe to this church, just know 
a portion, a large portion of your tithe goes to missionaries with this attitude. Over $100,000 last year. God doesn't need us. That's what our missionaries would say. They don't need me to go to these crazy parts of the world that are dark. We get to go. I'm telling you, I I know these missionaries well. Emily, Jimmy, Austin, Heather, Chris, Kelly. I, I believe they all would say missionary work is hard. It's hard. We've left everything, and it's hard. But it's a privilege. It's a joy. Trusting God that there will be great rewards You know, it's exactly what Jesus told Peter before Jesus died. Turn with me to Mark 10, verse 28. I actually prayed this passage over Emily and Jimmy before they left. Mark 10, verse 28. And then this is my prayer every week for them. And to be honest, being close with them, they're seeing this happen. Look at what it says. Peter says, right, of course Peter's the one talking. This is Peter, Jesus, interacting way before Acts. Verse 28. I'm sorry, I failed. Not 15 minutes. We're going to go longer. Um, verse 28. I failed first service too, actually. I think now that I think about it. Sorry. Verse 28 says this. Peter began to say to him, to Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. Peter, we have, we, Jesus, we have left everything. What is the point we have left everything? You know what I think most Christians would answer to Peter? Peter, that's your duty. That's your calling. You need to be obedient. It's not what Jesus says. Look at verse 29. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house, and her brother or sister or mother or father or children or lands, for my sake and for the gospel, who is that? Missionaries. People that sacrifice for the good news, to proclaim the good news. There's no one, no one that's left these things, verse 30, who will not receive a hundredfold. In other words, will receive a hundredfold. God is the great giver, and we are the great receivers. We get to be missionaries. Look at what it says, verse 30. He will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, I love that. Because we know we'll get rewards in heaven. We know there's great joy promised in heaven. But this, Jesus promised in this age even. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution. This is not the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. There will be persecution. If you're bold with the gospel, I promise you, there will be persecution. Even in Tehachapi. None of our missionaries are going to get rich off of their missionary work. But they're going to be blessed. Now in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. Listen, if we truly understood the privilege it is to be the bearers of good news... We truly understood the gift, the grace that God is offering us to be evangelistic. Nothing would stop us. And I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to myself. I need to trust God more, just be honest. And I want to say this, though, and and just in all honesty, the study in Ephesians has emboldened me 
ever since I've picked up this book and dived in deep, it's emboldened me. Seeing God's amazing grace just poured out on my life from eternity past to eternity future, as, as Craig read, from, from everlasting to everlasting. It's emboldened me. Why wouldn't I trust God? He has blessed me with every spiritual blessing. What should I fear? Take the gospel to the nation. Isn't that our calling? Isn't that our privilege? Isn't God going to bless us as we do that? Listen, we get a gift. We get to evangelize. I want to point something out here. Look at verse 30 again. Who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands? What is God promising Peter here? Now in this time, in this age, not in eternity. He's promising him a family. Peter says, we've left everything. We've left our families to follow you. Many of them won't even talk to us anymore. And Jesus says, don't worry, you'll receive a hundredfold. You will receive a hundredfold, Peter. What happened? Well, years later, God sends Peter to Cornelius' house for Peter to share the gospel, not just with Cornelius, but all of his family and all of his friends and everyone. He shares the gospel and they all are saved. And Peter, in that moment, added to his family. In Acts 10, 48, he says he remained for some days partying and rejoicing and loving on his new family members. Why should we share the gospel? Listen, that is the wrong question. The right question is this one. Why wouldn't we share the gospel? Listen, it's God's job to save people. We've had an older lady come to me recently and said, you know what your job is as a pastor? I said, well, to equip the saints in Ephesians, to preach boldly. Timothy, I'm like kind of naming scriptures and going through it. He says, no, it's to save souls. My job is not to save souls. That's God's job. And it's a mystery how he does it. John 3 says the wind blows where it wills, and we see the fruit of it. But listen, God has given us the privilege to be the bearers of good news. To take the gospel to the nation, not just our community, to the nations. I just want this, let me just end with this. It's amazing me to, for me to think about. Every one of you that's saved this morning, if you're saved this morning, every single one of you was chosen before the foundation of the world according to Ephesians 1. That means 100% of the glory goes to God for your salvation. 100%. Yet, every single one of you was saved because God sent someone to you with the gospel. And just think, every one of you, think who that person is. Don't you love that person? Salvation is 100% from God, yet God allows us to be a part of it. So let's be bold with the gospel. Let's take the Great Commission seriously. Let's reach to Hatchapi with bold mouths open, speaking the good news to everyone. And let's take the commission of taking this message to the nation serious too. 
Let's support our missionaries well. Let's send them well. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, Lord, you are the amazing great giver, Lord, and we are so blessed. You have blessed us with every spiritual blessing. <laughs> every. God, it's amazing. We are so rich. We are so blessed. I pray it's through that richness, it's through that grace that our cups just overflow, Lord, and, and we can't help but share the gospel. Help us change our perspective as a church, Lord. You don't need us. It is a privilege to go out and share the gospel, Lord. Help us to expect joy to come from that as you pour out your grace upon grace upon grace in every step of our walk in life, Lord. I pray that this church, Lord, this body right here, is obedient to your commission, Lord, to, to reach to Hatchapi, Lord, but more importantly, Lord, to reach the nations, whole communities, Lord, whole people groups that have never heard Jesus' name. Help us to be passionate about that. I pray that for our church, Lord, in your son's name. Amen.